Hi everyone, welcome to Scouting for Growth. I'm thrilled to introduce you today to my guest, Megan Bingham Walker. Megan is the co-founder and CEO of Anansi, a cutting-edge company on a mission to revolutionize the goods in transit insurance industry. Anansi's platform provides tailored, embedded, and low admin insurance products for retailers, logistics providers, and marketplaces. By leveraging digital technologies like OpenAPI and web app solutions, Anansi can automate and digitize manual processes, offering faster, fairer, and more flexible insurance solutions. But Megan's achievements don't stop there. She's an award-winning entrepreneur who has worn many hats throughout her career, including serving as the principal of a leading cleantech venture fund and as principal private secretary to a UK secretary of state. As a black female founder, Megan is passionate about diversity and inclusion and actively champions it as the co-chair of the diversity and inclusion subcommittee of InsurTech UK. Megan's commitment to creating positive change also extends beyond the business world. Indeed, she is an ambassador for Pump Aid, a charity with an ambitious mission to end water poverty in Malawi by 2030. And in her spare time, she pursues her love for weightlifting, Formula One, dancing, hiking, and skiing. Today, we will dive into Megan's journey as an entrepreneur, a vision for the future of goods in transit and insurance, and the unique approaches and strategies that has propelled Anansi to success. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's uncover the secrets behind Megan's success and explore how Anansi reshapes the insurance industry. Hi, Megan. Thank you very much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Hi, Sabine. Thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast. I'm excited. I'm so excited to speak with you too. And, and to get started, Megan, can you tell us who you are, where you come from, and what got you into insurance? So I'm Megan. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Anansi. Um, so we are a digital broker for goods and transit insurance. Not an obvious place for me to, to be because my background is very mixed. Um, I spent a few years working in the with the government. Um, I also spent five years working in venture capital, um, really specializing in clean tech um, fund um, investing, In again, in early stage startups. Um, I got really excited there and what you could do with data and um, tools to improve industrial processes. So we were investing in things like telematics, home energy management systems, and actually a lot of the tools which you now see a lot of insurtechs using. Um, when I left that, I was very excited about you know, machine learning and data and what you could do with that to solve problems. And I really wanted to found um, a, a business in that area. 
And around that time, I had an e-commerce business. So I saw from a user perspective, the fact that you've already got a lot of data, a lot of automation in the e-logistics markets, and yet none of that was being used in the insurance um, world. And around that time, I met Anna, my co-founder. So her background is much more traditional fintech. She's a full-stack developer. She was one of the early developers at Money Farm, uh, which has been a very successful fintech business in London. And she also works in banking for BNP Paribas Systems Department. So she was really excited about, you know, using what she'd learned in the, um, you know, building data pipelines in fintech and applying that to a business insurance problem. So that's really how we came together. And uh, yeah, really since then, we've been on this journey to bring more continuous and enriched data into insurance products. The around of it. That's that's wonderful, Megan. And what I also hear that your career and a lot of the activities you were able to engage with has prepared you to become the CEO of Anansi. So can you tell us a little bit more about your role there and a little bit more about Anansi as well? So, um, yeah, so I mean, what we do at Anansi is that... Uh... Um, you know, we are we've built a platform to essentially automate the process for goods in transit um, insurance. So I, I guess the problem that retailers face at the moment is it's a very manual process. They may not even know when an item is lost or damaged until a customer tells them. So how, even just having an early identification of that is a is a big step up in terms of providing an excellent experience for their customers. And then when items are lost or damaged in transit, it can be a very manual process to you know make claims with the courier firms. And a lot of the products that are out there, often you may only get say 25 pounds or a capped amount when if your average order value is you know more like 150 pounds then there's often a big insurance gap that you you know or a big gap that you may want to to cover with insurance so um you know so essentially um you know we have a platform that we we bring in um with with retailers and we also can supply the insurance via the third party logistics partners which are the warehouses which retailers use to store their items and do the dispatching as well so we've got two channels direct and indirect it's interesting because you you mentioned you know you you went to the retailer so it would be great to also for you to help us understand what is the biggest problem you actually saw and that you realized needed to be solved when you look at the target audience you went after. Mm-hmm. So the big problem, biggest problem that we're solving for the retailers is admin. <laughs> so essentially at the moment, you know, some retailers have teams of people trying to figure out what has been lost or damaged, um, trying to bring all of the data together so that they can um, process that that those claims. And there's often a, a very big fraud risk. So if you're just one retailer, you maybe only know about the fraud that you deal with. Whereas, you know, from our perspective, we work with multiple different retailers and different fulfillment centers. So we will be able to learn the fraud across the market, as it were, and apply learnings between the different retailers that we work with essentially but yeah the main issue is yeah it's a combination of having an insurance gap so a loss that they face and that the amount of admin around that and then you know 
you know, you must have experienced, we've all experienced something going missing or being damaged in, in transit. And it's really the number one cause of customer complaints or customers just not never purchasing again, because having a bad experience, post-purchase experience is a real decision point for, for consumers. So you mentioned that the retailers are claiming now. Can you tell us, were they able to claim in the past? Well, that's possible the problem I mean we spoke to one retailer the other day and we estimate that they get maybe 15% of the claims that are theoretically due to them actually paid so you know so another problem is it's a very labor-intensive process for retailers to pay to, to claim and then what they find is that you know one item will be the claim will be successful and then the next one won't be successful and they won't really know why <laughs> so you know so having a system where they can have a lot more confidence because the decisions are automated as far as possible so that they can you know quantify okay if we pay for this insurance we will receive these claims back that that's that is really seen as, as a big benefit as well as all of the the, the savings um you know in terms of man hours devoted to, to solving this problem and nc beautiful name how did it come about? Um, so Anansi is a West African folklore character. So I have some family connections to you know West Africa and, and the Caribbean. And it's a spider character. So um, according to the folklore, um, the spider is the, the keeper of knowledge. Um, and also we, you know, spiders sort of keep part of their brains in, in the web. So it's kind of part of their whole ecosystem. So the, I guess, conceptually, the idea is that, you know, at Anansi, we're building a sort of a web of data around this, this goods in transit, and which we're continuously updating and using to, you know, kind of inform our pricing and, and claims processes. So it's a very symbolic name for for what we are seeking to achieve which is well which is wonderful and a beautiful name when i i heard the name when i met you a few months ago i thought wow uh, interesting company business model and a beautiful name as well oh, thank and you. Uh, the fact that there is so much meaning as well behind it uh with the web and the spider uh, thinking is interesting because when you look at good in transit you actually combining the retailer, the logistics, right, the supply chain and insurance. So can we dive a little bit more into what good in transit is and how you have been able through e-commerce? And you won't believe, but yesterday I was reading a book around the economics of singularity, where a big statement is we are in the world of information. We have moved to the you know, industrialized revolution, but really it's about information revolution. So can you tell us from a business model viewpoint, how information become critical to make your business model work? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think information is at the crux of the innovation that we have with this product and, you know, how we will also evolve and, uh, you know, grow this, this business over time. So, um, you know, so essentially, I guess, you know, and, and really, you know, insurance is about information. I mean, essentially, we are in an information industry, you know, all of all of our products, the fund foundation for them is statistical analysis on top of the data that we can gather. And I think the the new aspect of what we're doing is, 
you know, specifically on the on the goods and transit side is we're bringing this transactional data so that we, you know, we have this very quick turnaround of the 60 days between, you know, maximum 60 days between when an item is um, shipped and when we, you know, process the, um, you know, the, the claim and the contract is essentially completed. And, you know, that's essentially what the industry has lacked in the past. You know, you know obviously you, you would have had the claims data, but being able to um, see on the transactional basis how we can optimize pricing between different courier firms or different geographies, um, you know, do, and, and really start to spot dynamically the, the fraud trends and, and what's happening with the risk is where this innovation um, is, you know, it's the crux of the innovation here. When you talk to your customer, uh, customers, Megan, and uh, you look at your own data, where do you think they are getting the most value? You already mentioned fraud is an area that they have been suffering from, but can you give us a bit more examples as to mm-hmm. how your customers gain value from leveraging Enancy? Yes. So I can give you an example. One of our early customers is the retailer Woucher. Um, so they, um, so we ensure all of their higher value shipments. So these are things like garden furniture and uh, furniture. So they have sort of two peaks, the sort of summer uh, furniture and then the sort of winter Christmas um, furniture. And um, at the point in which they were considering, you know, what to do, they had a new head of logistics who came in, you know, he was having to look to hire someone full time just to deal with all of the claims on a manual basis. And, you know, he managed to, we managed to approach him at that same time and you know he was just so delighted that there was a technology and a data-driven solution which he could implement instead of growing a you know a whole team of people to essentially you know try to solve this problem for him and we've been we've been working with them since February um, of this year and you know we just had really really positive feedback on on the service they find the platform very easy to use you know it just gives them peace of mind that you know one you know one piece of furniture could be sort of seven or eight hundred pounds so when that does get lost or damaged in transit it's a you know it's a big amount for them to to refund the customer in full or to find a replacement item so you know it really has done exactly what they were you know looking to achieve with with the insurance um, and then provide by providing this excellent post-purchase experience for their customers one of the you know the big topic I tend to talk to insurers about right now, Megan, is when we look at supply chain, mm-hmm. it's all about, I would say, sustainability and how do we also educate customers and employees to become more sustainable? How are you able to embed and recommend and apply some sustainability principle as you build your platform as a digital first? platform. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be, it's not something that we do right now, but it's definitely something that we can add to the platform in the future. Because, you know, I was even reading just on on LinkedIn the other day, um, you know, what you find in the last mile is that people, some retailers will optimize for the cost of the courier service, but that may end up having, you know, one shipment being split into multiple different sub-shipments, mm-hmm. you know, which obviously isn't very sustainable when it would be better to try and, you know, group those shipments into into one, uh, you know, one container rather than, you know, you receiving, you know, like when you receive Amazon, you have one order, but then you might receive four different, the four different items separately. So, and, and it's, yeah, so it's very interesting. And again, on the insurance side, it's much more efficient just to, you know, purchase 
one insurance policy rather than four separate policies for all of those individual shipments. So, you know, what we will, what we'll look to do, we're looking at how, you know, we can subdivide our product. You know, there might be some customers where the claims um, portal is more of a standalone product for them. And then adding that, you know, more of that. I mean, that's, I guess, the part of the feature of insurance is to, you know, help customers make better decisions. So use the data that you're gathering, not only to price the insurance and have a better claims experience, but also to then reflect that data back to them so they can make better decisions in the first place. And I think that's where we can work with them on sustainability. And actually just saying that one of the uh, third party logistics partners that we work with, they've got a very interesting approach to this in that they, um, with their platform, they um, sort of support their customers who are the retailers with optimizing for three different pillars. So one is sustainability. So, you know, so they, they, they would, you know, that's how they would drive. They organize all the shipments on behalf of their customers. So they use that as the primary driver. Uh, another driver is obviously cost. So some retailers would just want the lowest cost, whatever, by, by any means necessary. And we would be coming in as the insurance pillar. So, you know, depending on the, I guess, the nature of the, the, the clients, they will be able to operate with, with those, some combination of those, those goals, essentially. So when you look at uh, the market and you have been, if I can may say, you have been a VC, mm-hmm. what key technological trends do you see impact what you do every day? And you have been doing e-commerce, you have been ev- evaluating clean tech amongst other major topics which have, have helped you design and shape an NC. So what are those critical technological advancements you are seeing out there which is shaping today your company and may shape it as well in the future, Megan? No, absolutely. I mean, I think the reason why we we you know we got so passionate about goods in transit insurance, well, marine which is falls within the marine insurance category, is this is one of the oldest forms of insurance, and yet it's had much less innovation relative to you know some of the other categories like motor insurance. You know, there are so many uh, insured techs focusing on on motor insurance, and I think the other thing that we notice is that you know certainly that you know I guess the marine or the goods in transit market has several distinct sub-segments. So we decided to start in the last mile because, again, we saw that was an area that's been very under- explored and investigated, particularly from a, a business perspective. There are there are have been businesses looking to add the insurance to the checkout function, which we deliberately avoided because, I mean, according to the Consumers Act, you know, consumers don't really need to buy that sort of insurance. They are, are already covered. So it's the problem is really lies with the retailers. But I think where we want to go with this over time and why we see this market as being very exciting is that it's a it's a huge market. I mean, it's uh, something like 60, um, 60 billion billion dollars annually for the marine cargo market in in total. And, you know, we can see that there's a progression where we can move from the the last mile where we're currently focused more into the middle mile where you've got, you know, sort of, I guess, warehouse to store type shipments, Mm -hmm. um, sort of larger shipments. And then you've got the more traditional marine cargo shipments in the first mile, which still operate on a very very manual basis. And, you know, there's certainly an opportunity to to bring, you know, obviously with different data sets, but the process of, you know, being able to, you know, write the insurance, follow the shipments, and then uh, to pay the claims efficiency is still, you know, there are still some parallels there. So, you know, I think what we're really excited about is how we can, you know, effectively have a, a pathway to scaling across geographies, as we've seen, you know, some of the other really successful insure techs like many pay- 
pets and Zico do, you know, we'd be very much want to follow in their sorts of footsteps, as, as well as being able to scale up the value chain so that we can, you know, ensure more valuable shipments over time as well. Megan, do you interact with the insurers? within your space do they help you do you engage with them a little bit yeah absolutely I mean we have um, so we are currently backed by um, Arch um, underwriting so they are our capacity partners so we work with the marine team there and we have a very exciting announcement I can't preempt it right now but we will be working with some other very leading um, insurance marine cargo insurance capacity partners to to back our product so um, yes very 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 much plugged into the existing uh, market and they you know they really do they are very keen to to support us on this journey you know and you know get, gain access to this new data set and uh you know and you know also innovate around the, the claims process as well so that takes me to two questions mm-hmm. um so you are working with uh as you mentioned some insurers and so from a geography viewpoint what is your strategy location wise and where do you want to go so that's my first question and when you look at the insurers, what have they learned mm-hmm. engaging with an NC, with you, with the team around mm-hmm. how this can be done better? Mm. So I think on the geography point, it's really interesting because obviously um, insurance is is a very geographically specific uh, industry. Wow. And yet we always always come up against this. You know, some of the customers that we are speaking to are multinational companies. So we we always have this sort of, I guess, tension where we can do a certain amount right now and, and we have to find, a, I guess we would have to find a pathway to be serving the other geographies, but we're not going to be in all 152 <laughs> countries overnight. So it's going to be a, a process that we would need to, to go through. But I think, um, you know, as, as we test, you know, where our... Uh, you know the position you know we're obviously still the seed stage business so we're testing a number of things in terms of product market fit but i think you know our, our strategy is you know we're currently authorized um as a an appointed representative within the uk the next step for us will will be to become a lloyd's cover holder so that we can then also access the european market and we you know we have um you know and then potentially still start working with some partners so we can access the us market where this is even more of a problem than what you know we find in the uk because it's very much a gray area about responsibilities and uh yeah i think the losses are really quite significant there yeah and so when you look at those insurers when you engage with them mm-hmm. what are they learning from you and from, you know, this innovation, the digitization. Yeah, I mean, I think the innovation is really around data in the first instance. So it's really the data, the granular data that we gather directly either from the retailers, uh, um, sort of um, enterprise, re- uh, you know, sort of um, internal systems, essentially, or, um, you know, or, or from the third party logistics partners. So um, on the shipments and the actual, um, you know, particularly around the courier firms and the loss ratios per courier firm. So this is a data set that they ha- they wouldn't otherwise have had access mm-hmm. to. And I think the second thing that the insurance partners are learning is that, you know, we actually do have claims authority um, up to a certain level for the claims that we're dealing with. So, you know, we have some bandwidth to do a lot of innovation around um, automated triggers. So, for example, for claims up to a certain level, whether we can set some rules to pay those claims. um, So not necessarily manually reviewing every claim, which is particularly important. I mean, one of the retailers we're speaking to has something like 2000 claims a day. So, you know, it's a big 
big data problem and we would need to find a way to you know to essentially you know automate as much of that as possible rather than just recruit you know 40 people <laughs> to manually look at you know every single claim so i think there's going to be a lot that we um at, with the support of our um you know uh, capacity partners are going to learn around um you know the claims automation process and how we can bring you know more data fraud tools you know and sort of you know as a, as machine learning as well so recommendation systems so that we can grow sustainably um and you know with as much uh, support um on the automation as possible that's cool so megan you know what i've been in insurance for 25 years gosh i was trying to recon the year and you have come into this industry recently. And so as an advocate for diversity and inclusion, how has the industry welcomed you? And what it feels like, you know, and what it, it is like to ensure that we have a bit more diverse businesses entering our industry, which is insurance, and delivering value to the customer, which is also very diverse nowadays. I mean, I have to start by just congratulating you. I mean, it's amazing to see successful women such as yourself who are already in the industry sort of leading the charge, as it were. So I think, you know, it's you always look up to the people that have been in the industry for a bit longer than you. And I think although in, I guess insurance has this, um, I guess, uh, imp people have the impression that the insurance industry isn't very diverse. I think there have been some real trailblazing women, you know, yourself, you know, there's Inga Beale, who is, you know, the mm -hmm. former, you know, CEO. Of, of Lloyds of London, you know, it's the ha there are women that you know that you know people coming into the industry can look up to and to say, look, it is possible to. And actually, Evelyn Burke, who's one of our angel investors as well, so yeah, former CEO of Booper, and you know, so to follow in the footsteps of, of those women to see that you know that it's possible to rise to the you know the higher levels of, of the industry, you know, irrespective of your you know your diversity and, and your background. So, um, and then you know, also, and I think what you see also in the insurtech space is that there a lot of the innovation, a lot of the people doing innovation. Insurance uh, in insurtech have come from a lot of different diverse um, backgrounds, and I think that's one of the the reasons why the you know you know I think diversity is a real key part of innovation and bringing new ideas and fresh ideas into into any industry. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When I look at the insurtechs, so uh, and and the technologists as well as the insurance experts who have wanted to solve very specific problems within the industry, often they have probably a much more diverse inclinations, which takes me to how do you build, therefore, Megan, a high-performing team, and how do you manage your workplace with your co-founder? So, I mean, definitely, you know, building a diverse um, and inclusive workspace has been really key, a really an important part of our, our core values from, from day one. I mean, the first thing is that we are a remote first company. So, um, you know, we We've always um, operated on the basis that people can have a lot of flexibility around where they're based and, you know, how they manage their time to, to do the work. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work to, you know, ensure the wording of our sort of job specs is uh, uses inclusive language and that we've definitely had some positive feedback on that from, you know, the people that we have um, interviewed for, for roles. And, um, you know, I guess also, you know, what, what you can, whatever you can do to ensure, you know, fairness around the interview process and uh you know sort of a, a, a you know i guess giving people the best impression of the company from 
you know, right from the first interaction through to, you know, a decision, positive or negative, so that, you know, they feel that they've been treated fairly. And that's, but that's just only half of the equation is that, you know, then it's a question of, you know, what we can do as a team to retain people and to, and to have a, uh, you know, a works workplace where you know people can sort of bring their their whole selves to work. Um, I mean, I don't think it's perfect because you know, as a startup, it's always very chaotic. You know, especially you know, every startup's been through a lot of ups and downs in the last twelve months. But mm-hmm. you know, the intention is there, and you know, we you know we definitely uh, you know we do have a you know reasonably um, diverse team. We're actually based across several different countries. Most of our tech team is based in Portugal because um, Anna, Anna herself is actually Portuguese. So we have some team members based in Portugal, a couple in Spain, and we also have some UK-based team members as well. So I, before I want to, to go into talking a bit more about you, um, Megan, one thing I did read about Anansi's platform is the usage of open banking data. And uh, I know we already talked about information and the fact that the value that insurance see is the fact that that data allows them to have a much more dynamic interpretation and view of what is happening amongst the retailer community. So how has it been for you to leverage that open data and that open banking data, uh, which is, you know, in insurance still, I think, quite new because, you know, we've seen it used in depth in banking, but less so in insurance. So what's your view of mm-hmm. its advancement? And where do you think we could go? Maybe we'll have open insurance. I don't know. I mean, the reason why we, we um, you know, we look to open banking, King, one of the problems that our customers face is actually it's been, it's a very the conventional process is a very long one to actually get the insurance claims approved, and then uh, as big a problem is the whole transfer of bank details to actually receive the claims, which can then elongate the time between you know an item being lost or damaged and you know during the transit and then actually receiving the claim. So you know we we knew when we were designing the solution that we wanted to bring in uh you know open banking so that we can really accelerate that whole claims process. And actually we've partnered with a company called Vitesse who um, who you may have come across um who just have this incredible sort of best in class claims platform and I think the benefits work for really all parties so it works really well for the insure our insurance capacity partners in that they can have visibility of all of their various claims pools without having to create you know so many bank accounts every time they have a partnership with an insurtech and then on the customer side you know we can you know very so we have a way of monitoring the you know the claims payments and making those as quickly as possible and when we start working in across multi-currency it's going to really come into its own you know as we work with with retailers and we're paying some claims in pounds and euros and, and dollars and we will be really be it'll be a key part of our ability to scale the solution internationally by partnering with Vitesse on the open banking side. Awesome. So I want to talk about Megan and Megan's passions. You know, <laughs> I read you actually doing weightlifting, you know, Formula One, very impressive, dancing, hiking, <laughs> skiing. Tell us, can you find the time owning your own startup? 
for all these amazing activities that I've read on your uh, LinkedIn page. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's really important to have, you know, some, uh, you know, hobbies or things that you do outside of work, because I mean, obviously, you know, this as well as an entrepreneur, it's very, uh, you know, easy to, you know, for work to fill every minute of every hour of, of the day. And, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it helps to keep you balanced to have, you know, some, other, uh, you know, activities that you do, you know, where you can move into a bit of a different sort of headspace, um, as it were. And I, I'm a big advocate, you know, of you know, the importance of healthy habits, um, you know, to really maintain your sort of mental and physical health. So, uh, yeah, that's the reason for all of the uh, activities like, uh, yeah, weightlifting and, uh, you know, sort of train, yeah, training regularly and dancing and that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm on the Formula One side. I'm a lifelong uh, Formula One fan. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to the season starting again this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I did a piece of work recently, well, at the end of last year uh, for Salesforce. And one of the case study I was uh, working on or, or looking at was their Formula One. And one thing which impressed me so much, and it's where the power of digital and experiences becomes super important, is where they were explaining to me that Formula One uh, customers include, or fans include over 500 million fans across the globe, but only probably something like 5,000 goes to the Formula One event. And mm-hmm. so to actually build uh, a unique fan experience, they have to use digital in many form from, you know, the um, the platforms where uh, the different fans can actually experience Formula One to gaming, to podcasting, to writing articles like Medium. And I actually realized, as you were saying, that digitization is critical to actually drive those experiences, whether from the retailer point of view, but for the fun as well of Formula One. That's really true. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think they've really stayed ahead of the digitalization. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of fans came into the into the sport um, about three years ago with Drive to Survive. So there was a very famous Netflix series, one of the first yeah. sort of sports exposés. And that's, you know, really helped to humanize the sport, you know, this, you know, bring the human element so people got to know the, you know, some of the dynamics were happening in the background. And then definitely, you know, the fact that a lot of the drivers um, are gamers and they they you know so they they bring so you bring in this multi-dimensional experience and the opportunity to interact with the drivers is again also giving people new insertion points into you know learning about the sport so uh it's a very interesting case study actually i totally agree yeah so my last question to you uh, megan is getting to to know you and your ambassador work, right? You are the ambassador for Pump 8. Can you tell us a bit more? Because this is commendable, right? You're actually aiming to end water poverty in Malawi. And so what's your involvement and how are you helping the coast? Yes, so I've been involved with Pump Aid for actually more than 10 years now. So it's a charity which was founded quite a while ago to provide sustainable water solutions in Malawi. And I think what I'm passionate about is it's not just looking at water for drinking, it's also fueling entrepreneurship by providing water for irrigation, which then in turn seeds a lot of businesses. And they've won, they've 
been through a sort of transitionary phase where they they've also been looking to become more of a social enterprise mm -hmm. where they train entrepreneurs in Malawi to build these pump sustainable water solutions and to dig wells and to maintain them and to make an income out of doing that and I think that's really exciting you know to see how you know I guess you know charities are looking in the future to move away from this sort of donor driven model to a more entrepreneurial model um, and yeah I've just been very very supportive of that um, um, transition. So I was a trustee of the charity and I now I guess more of an ambassador and an advocate. But um yeah, so you know, support them in any way that I can as more of a cheerleader these days. <laughs> yeah, that's that's amazing because I know uh, as you are building your business, you're so also very busy. So what would be your last word of wisdom, Megan? <laughs> I mean, what would be my last word of wisdom? Um, I mean, I guess on the insurance side, I mean, I guess, you know, we see, uh, you know, insurance, I think, is a bit of a labor of love. Right? Insurance innovation is a, is a labor of love. I mean, I think any new uh, entrepreneur starting out in the space, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, barriers to, to entry in terms of, you know, finding insurance capacity, you know, building a team, you know, getting, you know, the uh, the right advisors. Um, but I think, you know, what's exciting about the insurance industry is that there is so much opportunity for innovation. And there are still so many pockets of areas where you can bring new data and processes, you know, particularly on the claim side to improve things that I think it's really, uh, you know, very rewarding industry to, you know, to be part of the innovation. That's superb. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being with me today. If anyone within our listening community wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? So um, they can find out more about Anansi on our website, which is www.withanansi.com. And, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Megan Bingham Walker. And on Twitter and on Instagram, my handle is Mibiwa, which is my name, just the first two letters of my name. <laughs> so M-E-B-I-W-A. Superb. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining me today on Scouting for Growth. And Thank you for having me. It's been a really lovely conversation. Thank you. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends, and if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Sabine VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine Van der Linden. Thank you.